Heavenly Father, you've gathered us again and called us here with open hearts, minds, and the scriptures set before us that we might further pursue, even study, even be diligent to uh, rightly divide the word of truth that we might comprehend the fullness of your work today in this world. And Father, that we might be witnesses of what we have been taught. So, Father, I prayed for boldness for all of us. Yes, these are hard times, but uh, we know from history so well how much harder things can be, perhaps will be, but certainly could be much more difficult. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us insight into that and wisdom, but also, Father, that you would give us boldness those who know you, Father, and know the riches of your grace, know the gospel, the good news concerning our risen Savior, Father, I do pray for so many that they would be bold and that you would raise up many in these days, uh, drawing many to yourself for the first time, some in our own families. We need you, Father, and uh, we just commit them to you, and you would draw them in these days, opening hearts and minds, bringing the joy of salvation to hearts that have been darkened uh, entire lives. Father, I, I just, uh, and all of us here today are so concerned about our nation and what's happening in it and how radical leftists, unbelievers who hate you and hate us have taken control in our government and uh, not that all there are uh, in any sense uh, devoted to the same purposes but certainly many are and Father I I, I do pray that uh, stark contrasts would become clear to those who were unsure and, and voted the wrong way previously, but now may begin finally to realize the error of that decision. And Father, I pray that uh, the many who do understand this already would be willing to count the costs and and take risks in order to communicate uh, that truth. Father, I pray for those who are leaders still in government who stand for that which is right and good for our people. And I pray that they would be given great wisdom to know how to proceed, that they might be effective. And I pray that they'd be encouraged, Father, by you. And if they do not know you, Father, that they soon would. So, Father, we look forward to see how you will work. Uh, our hope is in you not in the affairs of this earth and not even in our nation, though we do support it insofar as it's been promoting godliness in times past. But, Father, we know that uh, in the world there's only disappointment and trial often. And so, Father, we just... Uh, pray for peace and safety to consent to, to continue and yet uh, on the basis properly of uh, 
truth and righteousness and strength, not weakness, which the enemy will always seek to take advantage of. And we pray that uh, in the churches too, Father, that your word would go forth in strength and power. And I pray that this morning, Father, as we open your word together and would ask this in Christ's name and, and amen. Continuing on today, part seven in this mini-series. Uh, you might wonder how I can still call this Paul's second letter to Timothy, but <laughs> uh, just, it just seemed like the right time. And also considering what was happening in the world and and in the, um, the churches and the weakness uh, of the churches I've been... <laughs> Reading, I just began, but it's quite a book uh, by a man named Smith who used to be uh, in the New Age Church, and God delivered him from that. And now he's written a book called uh, something like uh, Two Titanics. Two Titanics. Titanics. Uh, <laughs> comparing the uh, the great ship, unsinkable ship. Titanic with uh, the church of today and how greatly they overestimated <laughs> Titanic's uh, uh, strengths and minimized its weaknesses and you know the effect and the end of that. Similarly with uh, the church as it is and uh, how important it is that the truth be the foundation of our lives and ministries. And uh, so we continue with the subject of the great transition, the glorious sweep of God's abundant grace. And you'll understand soon why I'm uh, emphasizing that truth of grace and uh, how this great transition leads one step at a time, unmistakably in the book of Acts, from the kingdom preaching that the kingdom was at hand and the preaching was to the Jews and in Jerusalem and how that leads ultimately to Paul's salvation and his sending forth accomplished transition. And it's a great one indeed, right? From one dispensation to another. Um, why does there need to be a transition? Well, because when one dispensation is replaced by another, and I've called the previous one the, dis the uh, Pentecostal dispensation to make it clear what its main features were. Uh, when that is replaced, there needs to be a transition because there are many believers who believed under the terms of that dispensation, and uh, then there are others who... <laughs> have been influenced by that, uh, who, re, who have opposed that, and then uh, the new dispensation needs to be properly founded, and so a transition from the one to the other is necessary. And some of the same persons will go from one rule of God to another, right? And so, of course, there has to be a transition. But, but dispensations do not mix well, and I've said that so many times. Grace and law, how do they mix? Kingdom law isn't grace. How does kingdom law 
and its preaching mix with the preaching of the abundant grace of God. Well, God will work out the transition. Um, but the Apostle Paul is raised up in order to make clear those differences. And so in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, he writes, Romans 11:6, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Well, last time uh, we looked at Stephen's death and how that uh, initiated the great transition through that man who actually brought the accusation against him of idolatry, right? And that young man was named Saul. Stephen died and Saul was saved. Uh, <laughs> Uh, soon thereafter. So Stephen's death initiated the great transition through Saul. Today, our title would be The Transition Gains Substance as Saul is received by Peter and then sent forth in apostolic ministry to the Gentiles. The transition gains substance as Saul is received by Peter. You might think that would be a small thing. It turns out not to be small at all, but a great, great miracle based upon many other miracles or it never would have occurred. Saul was received by Peter and then he was sent forth in apostolic ministry to the Gentiles. There are already 12 apostles. Why do they need a 13th, right? We looked into that a bit. We'll say more about it uh, eventually. But uh, what we'll see here today as we look at this, there are three different aspects to this. First of all, how Saul's salvation signals the end of Israel's Pentecostal opportunity. It signaled the end of it. It didn't mean the complete end of it. There are various aspects of the outreach to Israel that will continue and do. Uh, throughout the entire book of Acts, but Saul's salva salvation signals the end, at least, of Israel's Pentecostal opportunity. Peter's approval of Saul, Peter's approval of Saul, follows visitations by the Lord himself with signs given. <laughs> Peter being a Jew and the others there in Jerusalem being Jews uh, will receive these signs ultimately as of the Lord. So Peter and the others will give their approval to Saul. And then finally, Saul is sent forth in apostolic ministry hmm. with Barnabas and John Mark initially sent forth to Gentile lands. Okay, so first of all, Saul's salvation signals the end of Israel's Pentecostal opportunity. <clears throat> well, as I've said, to effect the transition from the Pentecostal dispensation to the fullness of grace would require a great 
transition indeed. Much will be involved. And that's why the book of Acts is very long and quite complex, uh, really. Uh, studies in the book of Acts uh, are, are never easy. There are so many things happening. Uh, Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Acts, <laughs> is a physician. He's focused on details. And he provides those details one after the other. It reads kind of like the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel is that way, too. And Luke's uh, Gospel and also his uh, book of Acts, uh, similarly detailed. Um, It would take us a long time to look at all the details, and we don't want to do that. But just the significant ones, as we see how this transition Uh, developed and how God worked to bring that transition about from a focus on the preaching that the kingdom was at hand to a focus on the preaching on the finished work of Christ and uh, the work of grace uh, now uh, in effect. Okay, so what we see, and this will be a major point we'll notice today, is that The ministry continued to be to the Jews first, Uh, even after Saul is saved. um, The Jews in Jerusalem, the the 12 apostles and the others are still focused entirely on Jews. Um, They're going to have to learn that God is changing his focus and the learning will not be easy. Um, The reach, the outreach um, of those Jews And the preaching of those Jews uh, actually uh, won't bring that much more salvation. There will certainly be still many saved, but it will ultimately bring judgment, actually, upon the nation because uh, the leadership in in, uh, Israel will increasingly and finally reject the preaching concerning the resurrected Christ. And without receiving Christ as their Messiah, they cannot be saved, right? The nation cannot be delivered, okay? And and so uh, they, these uh, apostles were certainly preaching the resurrected Christ, but he's preaching Christ. They're preaching Christ as coming in judgment of the Jews who have uh, uh, murdered the Lord, right? It's still continuing. Um So this is going to have to change. The preaching is going to change in its focus. Um, And so that's what we're going to see as these chapters in the book of Acts uh, develop. The sacred history is given. Okay, so as we've emphasized, this great transition begins when this... uh, chosen vessel of the Lord named Stephen is actually stoned to death because of his testimony. And Saul is the official uh, representative of Israel's religious leadership. He brings the, the charge that leads to Stephen's stoning. Okay, You might wonder, why was Saul there in the first place? I mean, he's certainly right in the center of things here. Why, he's a young man. Why would a young man have such a, a responsible position? Uh, you might wonder, and I think it might have had to do with uh, Gamaliel. After all, uh, Saul was Gamaliel's best student, and uh, Gamaliel was one of the leaders in Israel, right? 
he was in fact the greatest teacher of the day. So no wonder Saul is in the center of things. But but when Saul brings these charges against Stephen, he's certainly not acting uh, in uh, obedience to Gamaliel. Gamaliel, remember, we we looked at that where Gamaliel said, "Be careful, be careful that you may be opposing God Himself." Hmm. So Saul is on his own. I think it's probably the high priest and some other elders that are dictating uh, what he does, and he does it obediently and ignorantly, right? Okay, Um, so some words there to start with uh, from Acts chapter 7, verse 59. They stoned Stephen. This is uh, with Saul holding his clothing, according to the previous verse. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Um, remember, he saw saw the Lord standing, <laughs> awaiting uh, his glorious reception, right? Uh, then the next chapter. Remember, there are no verse divisions in the original language of these uh these books, uh, no verse divisions at all. And so these are the very next words. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 in our translation. And Saul, it's even the same sentence. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem and have them stoned. Well, I added that, but, you know, that was his intention. Uh, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Well, Saul didn't realize uh, what was going to happen next, that's for sure. But as part of the incredible plan of God and his redemptive intent, (laughs) the risen Lord himself intersected with Saul on his course to Damascus. He visited him from heaven's glory with the light of heaven, it says here, the light of heaven now shone round about him. And even the hidden recesses of Saul's corrupt heart was illuminated by the light of heaven. Hmm. It certainly began to change everything. So Paul is very confused about what is happening here. And his response is, Lord, (laughs) Lord, is it thee? And the Lord says, it is I. And uh, Saul says, what? Will you have me to do? Obedience is first thing on his mind once he uh, once his mind begins to clear just a little there from the bright light. But he's blinded from the light and falls to the earth and to the dust. Then in chapter nine, verse eight, as Saul arose from the earth, his It says, when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, 
He's blinded, right? But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So Saul, <clears throat> Saul is greatly humbled uh, by the great light, by the blindness. And he'll be blinded now for three days until a disciple named Ananias, who himself has seen a vision of the Lord, right, an angel, um, comes uh, obediently uh, to visit in the home where Saul is staying, right, and brings him a healing hand uh, to clear his vision and also a word from the Lord, which is that Saul will learn how greatly he must suffer on behalf of the Lord Jesus. And so that will become the signature part of his life and ministry, the suffering for the sake of the Lord. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, we read of that, but the Lord said unto him, uh, said rather, this is not to Saul, but it's unto Ananias, who would come and tell Saul about this vision later. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, Ananias, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, oh, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Praise God, right? What was his response? Verse 19, when he received food, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. In verse 22, he confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ of God, the very anointed one, their Messiah. Well, he was prepared well by his teachings, by Gamaliel, but now even more so by the uh, Lord himself, bringing him great understanding, removing his blindnesses, right, and uh, preparing him well and then encouraging him and strengthening him to go forth with this message of the risen Christ, right? But the Jews, according to verse 23, took counsel to kill him. <laughs> okay, so Saul goes from pursuer to pursued, from pursuer to pursued. Uh, during a course here, it says of many days, and uh, is humbled indeed again and again. And uh, that's... Uh, how chapter 9 is concluded. Well, it wasn't evident to the 12, Peter included, uh, in Jerusalem, how much God was about to change the program. <laughs> they certainly uh, came to understand that Saul was a chosen vessel. And Peter accepted that uh, <clears throat> eventually, and we'll see how that all was brought to pass now. Peter, will look into Peter's approval of Saul, follows visitations of the Lord with signs given. Okay, so Saul is now saved. 
but now it's for others to be convinced of that, right? In Damascus, <laughs> the disciples are convinced, <laughs> but what about in Jerusalem, okay? And so we'll see how that develops, beginning there in Acts chapter 10, and I've, I've asked uh, Lisa to read those first verses, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Lisa? There was a man called Cornelius, a centurion of the band of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Yes. Thank you, Lisa, so much for that. <clears throat> well, this is very significant. God is now going to, <laughs> he's going to use a Gentile. He's going to use a Roman military commander named Cornelius. That's pretty shocking. Okay, that's going to raise the eyebrows of a lot of Jews, right? It's going to require a great miracle uh, to make any of this uh, work out well. And we'll, and that's what uh, exactly will happen. Okay, so uh, what it says is that, well, these, you know, Cornelius sends out representatives uh, to go uh, to find Peter, who is staying there uh, in in this uh, home, this private home. You might wonder, why did he go there, right? I think uh, he may be a little confused and wants to have a retreat, a little time off. Anyway, uh, so these representatives of the uh, of the centurion uh, go forth and says verse 9 on the morrow they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city and and peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour and he became very hungry and would have eaten but while they made their made ready uh, i guess preparing the meal his meal time says he fell into a trance okay <laughs> so, continuing then, Patty, would you read all these verses for us, please, quickly? In Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 22. And we're focusing on all these verses because these miracles and signs here are extremely significant in how God is going to work. And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, No, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake to him again, the second time, What God hath cleansed, 
that call thou not common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself that his vision, which he had seen, should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? Yes, indeed. Okay, so uh, it all develops according to plan. In verse 22. Oh, and they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee unto his house and to hear words of thee. Okay, so Peter's response to this is just what a good Jew would say, which is, wait a minute, I can't eat anything of those unclean animals because uh, I've never touched an unclean... (laughs) What? I've never touched something unclean. Well, he doesn't say that. He certainly touched touched a lot of unclean things, and there was a sacrificial system to cover it. He says, no, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. That's, of course, what Moses' law demanded of every Jew, right? Um, And so Peter, being a righteous Jew, according to the law, such as it was, um, responds in this fashion, and You know, it's interesting that he's applying that to having a contact with this Gentile. Hmm. You see, uh, the Jews were also told to have nothing to do with the Gentiles. And uh, so he's uh, extremely uh, concerned about uh, this report, right? How can he receive this man? And uh, this message, right? Because it would indicate to him that somehow God is now working with the Gentiles. Even using Gentiles to accomplish his purpose. That's really something Peter is having some difficulty comprehending. Okay, so what's going to happen? Well, it's because of the signs and and the wonders and the miracles here uh, that uh, everything's going to be accomplished according to the plan of God because... Uh, what's going to happen is that Peter is going to go with him, with them, with these representatives of Cornelius. He's going to Cornelius, and uh, he's going to preach concerning the risen Messiah, right? The risen Christ. And what will the result be? The Spirit is going to come upon that Gentile family, and they're even going to speak with tongues, with unknown languages. 
they're going to speak in Latin, and these Jews are going to understand perfectly. Okay? So, <laughs> it's the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that God is using there to convince Peter that God is now changing his program. Okay. Okay, and, and there are many verses there. I, I don't want to look at all of them, but um, just looking down here, uh, as Peter preaches, this is in verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Okay? Uh, and... Uh, in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so he preaches, and while he is yet speaking, according to verse 44, the Holy Spirit falls on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, As many as came with Peter, right? They were the Jews that had come with Peter. They were astonished because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Okay, so you see it's the miracles that has convinced them. Well, going on, going on. And uh, now we go into chapter... 11, Peter finds now uh, that the Jews back in Jerusalem are not so willing to accept that God is turning to the Gentiles. <laughs> Peter gives the report about the signs and the miracles, and they oppose uh, Peter and, of course, uh, are not willing to accept this. And that brings us ultimately to what I'd like Charlie to read, uh, or rather, Linda to read, in uh, chapter 11, verses 21 through 26. Linda, please read that for us. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned on to the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Titus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians for the first time in Antioch. So you might wonder, well, how were they convinced in Jerusalem? They had opposed Peter and what he had testified regarding the, uh, the turning of the Lord to the Gentiles. Um, what happened was that Peter preached in Jerusalem. And again, uh, there was a great work of the Lord, it says there in those earlier verses. So, um, And... Many then uh, began to see clearly that God was at work in sending the message of the resurrected Christ to the Gentiles. And so they actually 
began to send people out. It says they sent them out to these islands and so forth, right, in, in the Mediterranean, and then to Antioch and so forth, right. Um, so the key thing in all of this is that God uses the signs, wonders, and the miracles. He's using the miracles to convince the Jews who were not willing to believe that God was changing the focus towards the Gentiles. The signs are always for the Jews. Yes, many times Gentiles are impressed as well, and it can be significant for them. But ultimately, the signs, the wonders, and the miracles are for the Jews. Okay, that brings us uh, all the way down then to the last point. Paul himself, still called Saul at this point, is going to be sent forth, and that's in chapter 12. And... Uh, so uh, I'd like Charlie to read that for us, Acts chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had filled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, it's amazing but true that from this point on, Peter only appears in two verses, I've counted it right, uh, maybe a few more, but two places in the book of Acts, only two more times does Peter appear. James will appear as well. And uh, the 12 disappear entirely off the pages of history in the book of Acts. How can it be? Well, the answer is, what we've just seen, God has changed the focus from Israel and the 12 who were sent to minister there to the Gentiles and has raised up Saul to be renamed Paul as apostle to the Gentiles. And he's sent out apostolically. We see him sent out here uh, in chapter 12 when we get to chapter 13 next week. We'll see the official beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, so what have we learned here today? I think what I, I've intended to communicate more than anything else to you is that God reached out to the leaders of Israel and they rejected the message, even though great miracles and signs were given. Uh, the 12 and those that they had been ministering to in Israel and surely in Jerusalem, which was the center of that ministry, they were unwilling to receive, for the most part. Uh, Saul, that God had now raised up, he's taken his greatest enemy uh, at the time and turned him into his greatest uh, advocate, right? Uh, and uh, they were the Jews were unwilling, the believing Jews were unwilling, apart from signs, wonders, and miracles. And they couldn't deny those. Started with Peter and then went down to the others, right? <clears throat> so they could not deny that God was, was working uh, to and through Gentiles. God had even raised up a Roman military leader as part of that whole plan. Okay, so this is uh, 
prove that God's changing his focus, you see. With a new apostle. They didn't need one. They had 12. As long as God's reaching out only to Israel, they do not, absolutely do not need another apostle. All right? Because the Great Commission was that they would go to the Gentiles in due time, right? But it's all... That whole program's been now slowed down and then interrupted, right? And the raising up of Saul is now the the proof of that. Uh, God is changing his focus to the Gentiles. And the disappearance of the 12 from the pages of the book of Acts following this chapter is the, uh, the proof of that. If you're looking for proofs, I hope you are, as we learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Well, praise God for his gathering us here today. The real value in understanding this, of course, is to understand the difference between law and grace. And that'll become the major focus of Paul's teaching to believers, right? The difference between law and grace. And what's been accomplished through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look forward to our heavenly inheritance. They had looked forward to the earthly inheritance in the kingdom, right? But our hope is truly heavenly. So it may look very dark on the horizon to you and to me here, if we take our eyes off of heavenly things, that is, And if we don't see things on the earth from a heavenly perspective, where we're in fact seated at the right hand of our Lord Jesus Christ in heavenly glory, right? Praise God for that. Keep your eyes properly focused. That the light of heaven might keep your hearts and minds clean as that uh, great work was accomplished in Saul, right? Removing his ignorance, giving him knowledge of the grace of God and its power. Praise God. Praise God. Well, enjoy the Lord. Are there any comments or questions today? Hi, Jim. Uh, Well, thank you for the message. They are absolutely wonderful. It's very uh, revealing and comforting. I just have some observation, which is uh, I, I like to share. I always found that Acts is not an easy book to study because there's a lot of history background, especially the transition from one dispensation to another. You know, I can see that people can be confused if they don't study this from the context. Mm-hmm. And so there are two points I want to make. The first one is the um, Acts 11, 19, and even though they're scattered because of uh, persecution of Stephen, mm-hmm. and they scatter over the place to Antioch, but those scattered apostles, they still preach to Jews only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in a way, um, it's still the continuation of uh, the Great Commission because they only allowed to preach to the Jews first, then Gentile. Mm-hmm. But since Jews hasn't and didn't totally believe yet, so they still 
you know, going down that program. So that's the first thing. Uh, then continue of that, and they said the, the disciple were called Christian first in Antioch. And that's after Saul was brought in um, by Barnabas to preach in Antioch. So seems indication is that Christian is really starting um, mm. this activity starting from Saul's preaching, the Paul's preaching. You know, yes. This is verse 26. Yes, 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 yes. And it's right on the page in front of me, both of these points. But uh, in my haste, I skipped right over it. I'm sure glad you kept it in mind and noticed it and brought that out now. I'm so happy about that, Lewis. Thank you so much. So okay, much. then my second point is uh, low. And in chapter 12, and Peter was arrested, apprehended. So, and people, they say they are praying for him, you know, without ceasing. And so this reminds me one of the things a lot of uh, denomination or denominated church was talking about, the power of corporate praying, prayer. Okay, so those people, they're praying. And yet, what happened? So when people was freed by angel, Peter knocked on the door. And those people wouldn't believe Peter was free. <laughs> I found that such an irony. You're <laughs> praying, but you don't believe the power <laughs> of praying. <laughs> I think this is sort of human nature because we like to believe in power of praying, but it really, we don't really believe it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Yes, very, very true. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much for pointing that out, Lewis. Yes, indeed. Any other comments? Those are great comments. Okay, well, next time, we're now well prepared to open Chapter 13, which will be a watershed watershed event. If, if we need one, we've already had quite a few of those. But uh, Chapter 13 will bring the official sending out from Antioch of Saul to the Gentiles, okay? Not from Jerusalem, but from Antioch. And uh, you know what that's going to lead to? The formation of churches everywhere he goes. He will go first to the Jews in the synagogues to preach Israel's Messiah to them, when they reject that message, which they will do for the most part, only a few there will be receptive, and he will leave those synagogues and go off to teach those that will receive the message, primarily the Gentiles, right? And that will go on city to city to city to city to city till finally he reaches Rome. Eventually, we'll get to the end of the book of Acts, where Paul proclaims the final judgment upon Israel from the farthest extent that the Jews had reached in the known world there. Rome being so significant in that regard. So, praise the Lord and uh, enjoy the Lord all. So glad you were all with us today and... Uh, and the Lord bless you all.
and keep you all. Enjoy the Lord, all. And uh, we look forward to hearing your voices again very soon. <laughs>